Hello and welcome to another episode of the DevOps Speakeasy podcast. And um, with me in my virtual studio, my co-host Kat Kosgross. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to another Developer advocate in JFrog. The... My name is Baruch Sadogurski. I'm head of DevOps Advocacy in JFrog. And we have an amazing go- host, host, guest. I'm not drunk. Guest. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yet. Valerie Regas. Um, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. This is super swell. Okay, swell. Who, who, who is Valerie? Who is Valerie? That is a, a complicated question. Um, Existential, even. Yeah. Uh, God, now I might have to get really drunk. Anyway. Is this no. a philosophy podcast? So, um, you it's know. It's DevOps, so it is philosophy. Yeah, pretty things. much. Yeah, I am uh, <laughs> currently working as a DevOps engineer, even though that doesn't exist. Um, which is super fun. I am two years into a career and I got my first job by telling the person to please not hire me because I didn't know what the hell I was doing, um, but that I would be willing to learn. So that's neat. So I've gone from zero to deploying things and like doing my job uh, in two years. It's been a crash course. And um, I got to tell you, there have been funner experiences in my life than trying to catch up, you know, 20 years of education into. It's, uh, it's been a grind. <laughs> what, what does developer engineer do? What, what was your, you know, you said to getting the job done, what is the job of DevOps engineer? Well, so I think that varies from company to company. It's handling things like deployments. I write a lot of YAML. Um, shell scripting to automate anything that's manual or repetitive. Um, handling our cloud compute resources. I mean, just stuff. A little bit, a little stuff. performance monitoring on the side. So yeah, cheers, y'all. Cheers. But So you got yourself into a position where a company was actually willing to mentor a junior. This mm-hmm. is like a, this is a hot issue for me. Actually willing yeah. to mentor a junior and surprise you excelled. Yes. Um, and I, I want to make it clear, not only was I a junior, I did a coding boot camp for web development. And the day before my boot camp started, I literally referred to my computer as the magic box that holds email. Like I, I, I knew nothing. I was Jon Snow. I knew nothing other than I, th- I think I made some MySpace <laughs> themes years ago. I don't even remember. Uh, oh, yeah. You used to be able to execute um HTML and CSS in the comment boxes on MySpace to override the standard theme. College is kind of a blur for me. I know you won't believe that. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I knew nothing. I did this web dev boot camp, so six months, nights, and weekends. All the while, I'm a full time stay at home mom. I got two kids when I was doing my boot camp. And I mean, there were times the kids went to the boot camp with me because my husband's an architect, and so he works long hours too. And he couldn't come get them in time. So cool. Guess they're going to uh, learn about JavaScript tonight. And I wrote my first full stack application from a bathroom floor. Because this is, my by the way, how kids get their, uh, you know, their complexes and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. So weird moms build character. Like one block come after JavaScript at night for kids. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I, I wasn't just a junior cat. Like I knew nothing. I knew literally nothing. I had done a web dev boot camp. I have no educational background that would lend itself. I mean, I 
my degrees in psychology and gender studies for fuck's sake. Like there, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing useful. And they were just like, not they, Jay, my manager, Jay was like, you know what? She's motivated and bright and funny and let's see if she can learn. And uh, cheers to Jay. Cheers to Jay. I think that's, that's commendable for them as a company and for you yeah. because you accomplished something, but uh, also it's something that I think we should, we should all be much louder about. Um, I also went to a boot camp. listeners. I don't have a college degree, actually. Uh, my college coursework was in biochemical engineering and I dropped out. Um, and yet here I am uh, reasonably considered an expert on some stuff according to people on the internet and Ooh. also my boss. And um, we should stop considering that juniors can't learn or that they're not valuable and or that they can't be rapidly more valuable than somebody who shows up with more experience, but maybe also more bad habits. So I, uh, I appreciate, I really do that you're, uh, you've done so much so quickly and that they were very willing to take a chance on you. And so what's nice is I know that I'm finally getting to be where I need to be because I finally know enough to realize how little I know. Yes, that's an important spot to be in. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And hubris is important in an engineer, but uh, none of us are beyond being taught something. Yeah, and, if and you there, is this, point, there is this, this point in which you you think you know a lot and then you discover that you don't know, like, you don't it's know. It's a drop in the bucket. Game, and this is where you kind of, it turns out that here is the point that you actually learn something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, man, it's been, it's been intense. Um, <laughs> but it's been fun. It's been a fun ride. Uh, lots of, lots of conference attendance and, um, you know, more Fridays than not, I spend a little bit of time on like Linux Academy or Pluralsight or, or somewhere to just, okay, I was banging my head against the keyboard on this one thing. Maybe I should watch a tutorial. And, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Um, and I do speak at conferences and it's so funny. I like to tell people within the first five minutes, I am not speaking to you as a subject matter expert. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about this thing the way I wish someone had taught me with metaphor analogy I could be wrong I don't think so because I've researched a lot for this but I could be but here it is <laughs> so, I mean it's your, it's your experience like this is how it works according to you trying this thing yeah so it works you, in you're, you're about to write a couple of blog posts in, from exactly the same perspective and point of view mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's a better way to teach people as well. Uh, I, I tend to recoil from instructors who are like, this is the law. And instead give me like a practical example of this thing solving a problem. Then, mm -hmm. then I'm convinced more on their tool. But you said you speak at conferences a bunch. What do you usually like to talk about? Mm, um, so uh, confession. I tend to look for conferences at which I want to speak and see what they're yeah. looking for and figure out if I can, if I can make something that they're looking for. So uh, one of my favorite talks right now actually is about Wardley maps, um, which is basically a, 
business and project tool, um, a way of basically visually representing things that we would typically represent with the written word. And I know that that sounds a little dry. I think they're nifty AF. I really love Wordly Maps, but the only reason I learned about them was I wanted to speak at DevOps Days and they were combining with Map Camp and Serverless Days and they were looking for talks on Wordly Maps. And I was like, well, go learn what that is. Excellent. <laughs> so that was yeah. the most um, ridiculous talk, by the way. It was at the Georgia Aquarium. Uh, and for uh, viewers, listeners who don't know, uh, the aquarium in Atlanta is rather large and it has a ballroom with different exhibits kind of peeking through the walls. And so I was very pregnant at the time. I was about seven months pregnant. So no Adderall in my body, which is awful. Oh, no. oh yeah. So already struggling with attention a little bit, no Adderall. And then the tank that is along my right side are the beluga whales, which are majestic creatures anyway. You kind of want to pay attention to them. You do. However, yeah, you can't help it. It was apparently mating season. Ask me how I know. Anyway, it was the most distracted I've ever been during a talk. I was just oh like, Oh my God. Okay, like, I'm, I don't have ADD or any kind of like attention disorder. And I don't think I would not be able to give a talk. I would be so distracted. There's, it, there's no. no way. And I, aside, I that aquarium is so fucking cool. I love that aquarium. I earned but, a cookie. It was great. Um, the worst part is I was giving this talk on Wordly Maps uh, and basically talking about how I break them and use them differently because the way that they're originally intended to be used doesn't really work for my purposes. And so trying to get the audience to do it differently. And I didn't know it at the time, but Mr. Simon Wardley was in the audience. Oh, awkward. No pressure. It's a good thing yeah. you didn't know that though. He was so cool about it afterwards. He oh, was good. Like, like, oh, this girl says that my stuff doesn't work for her, so she does it differently. You should all be like her. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> swell, swell, swell guy, by the way. Yeah. yeah, if you'd known, that probably would have been a little bit more nerve-wracking. But I, don't, I honestly don't know what could be more distracting than trying to give a talk next to some beluga whales during... Mating a close, close second was I spoke at Refactor in Atlanta. Um, I was 39 weeks pregnant and I had contractions the entire talk. So that was, <laughs> Oh, he wasn't, he wasn't born at the conference. It was a couple but days, he was, but he was banging on the door. Yeah. Yeah. I oh. was like, so, and this is why I love Docker. Hold please. Anyway. So <laughs> did the crowd know? Two people did. Yeah? Yeah. Ooh, I'm going to use that as a prop. Just let them know up front, hey, just in case this is a little bit weird and I get derailed or start stumbling. I don't know, man. I'm a home birther anyway, so like living room, conference, what's the difference? What's yeah. It's the same, same difference. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, God. I thought my stories are intense, but... No, not even close. You got no, a good story, Baruch? Yeah, I was about to say, tell me a story. story yeah, no, I, I, I had a couple of. So, um, the first, I think the most funny one, it combines two in one, actually. Um, I had a talk about uh, a groovy, hacking groovy, abstract syntax tree stuff. Uh, pretty advanced um, computer science that I never knew, speaking about stuff that we never knew. And uh, what I basically did, I took an eight hours workshop by a couple of very smart guys. 
and converted it to a talk. And on one of the conferences, I actually had both of them sitting in the front row when I delivered this talk. So I announced that it's their stuff and everything, but still a, converting it to a talk, I did a couple of mistakes that they obviously called me live. That was nice. Uh, but also something else happened. It was like on a second floor of, I think it was university, some building, I don't remember where. And it, the construction was going on on the outside. And this particular class had like panoramic windows on the back um, uh, facing the construction. And um, I was, uh, I, I showed the first version of something that I did, which was like quick and dirty. And I mentioned um, how shitty this code was that I'm going to about to refactor. And then a crane outside actually lifted a, a portable um, toilet on the second level. Oh. And I just said, you want like illustration, turn around. So people turn around. And, and so um, a toilet when I was speaking about shitty code. So that was, that was fun. That was the best illustration. That's a I good had. one. Yeah. Are you sure you didn't actually plan that? No, I did. I didn't even know that there was a construction. It was all my all my jokes are recycled when I do the talk. So it's that, true. That I've was, seen talk. Yeah, that wasn't the first time I actually spoke about shitty code, but it was the first time I had the perfect illustration for it in real life. Yeah, no, but it's it's nothing comparing to the stuff that you are. I had a couple of blue screens during live demos and, and presentations, both on Windows and on Mac. But that's again, like that's all small stuff. Yeah, that it. happens. Yeah, and, and talk through it while it reboots. So that's, no, but your stories are. You know, that's, those are much, Valerie's are more dramatic. Yeah. For sure. I mean, mating beluga whales was intense. I mean, that was really difficult to focus on the slides. Won't lie. Won't oh, lie. There's, there's no way I would be able no. to do that. No. There's just no way. So but, I'm kind of going through withdrawals right now. I'm like, hey, we're canceling all the conferences. What? Yeah. Yo, can I get can I get just one of them one yeah. of them keynotes? Like, man, man, if you could just get me a meetup, that'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, so the closest we can do is this. This, this is um, yeah. This is all we got to tide us over, but. I, uh, we, we do this like a lot, couple of days just to keep, you know, seeing people's faces. So yeah, just, just to keep the, the serotonin going, man, just what else are you going to do? Well, but, so uh, I don't know what everyone else's reality is uh, right now, but here's my reality right now. My office is shut down. So Atlanta is um, the city of Atlanta and I live in town. We're, we're shut down. I mean, it's just... Yeah. It's essential services only. And um, so I have been at home, my family of five. I have a, a delightful husband. I, I decided to keep him. And congratulations. Thanks. And third time's a charm. <laughs> and so I have a 10 year old uh, little boy, a five year old little girl, and a nine month old little boy. <sighs> so that's why the, the wine. Let me. Let me just make it clear there is, you, you cannot work from home. Nope. No, yeah. I, I find myself apologizing to my coworkers every day uh, for my lack of productivity. I'm getting the equivalent of about 30 minutes to an hour of work done a day. I'm also homeschooling a fourth grader and a bilingual kindergartner. And yeah. keeping the nine month olds trying to walk, um, 
he is beastly strong. So I bought this, uh, I call it the Neglectomatic. It's this little <laughs> round table with a little seat that attaches to it. So he can walk around the table, but he's trapped. It's like the, the illusion of freedom. Uh, and I bought the Neglectomatic thinking it would help me get some work done, except he's so freaking strong, he'll get in it and then start walking away from it and drag the table like like a pit bull tethered to a 40 pound weight. Like they're gonna move it. They're, they might be slow, but they're gonna move it. That's a beefy toddler. Oh man, he is, he is beefcake. Um, have you tried you could have you tried like multitasking and maybe like teaching the kids how to use Kubernetes or something <laughs> and uh, calling that homeschooling? Considering they are already did the the JavaScript uh, yeah bootcamp, they already yeah. know JavaScript ish um, I, that would be a great great thing so uh, a lot of people are bitching right now about having to homeschool their children while they work except. I homeschooled when I was a stay-at-home mom for half a year before I was like, this is not for me. Um, <laughs> homeschool, you decide the curriculum, you decide what workers do that day, you format it to the kid, and you format it to your needs. This bullshit is not homeschool. This is attempting to take a public school environment and bring it home. Absolutely. That's a remote, that's a remote uh, schooling. It's not yeah. Yeah. So I've got six teachers sending assignments and telling me to do all these enrichment activities with my kids. And I'm like, even if I didn't work, I'm not going to fucking finger paint because I don't want to. And so like, I'm, it's really neat. It's um, uh, to those of you out there with us, if anyone else feels like you're failing at being a teacher, having a full-time job, being a good partner, and you're failing at all of it, uh, you're not alone. And uh, doing the best we can here people <laughs> yeah i mean this this isn't normal like i i worked from home full-time for six years uh still in the tech industry but working from home full-time and even though like having my wings clipped does make it impossible to do part of my job and i've filled in the gaps with uh other stuff like this this does not feel like normal working from home i'm used to working from home this ain't it yeah so nobody should feel bad about it. But uh, what I have found is that it is a great time to justify teaching myself new technologies, which mm -hmm. I have the time for because I don't have kids. But uh, I'm I'm thinking about teaching myself Rust next because mm. you gotta you gotta stay fresh, you know. In um, in this industry, or well, in tech in general, you can't really stop learning. You gotta gotta be learning constantly. So now is a, a good time to maybe teach yourself something new if you need some self-care. I and, just spent uh, two days last week doing that. I was like, I, I just took on a, a, a project that had nothing to do with work, just maybe help me learn some things. But what is your favorite way to teach yourself? I mean, if, you know, we all have different learning styles, like what's your favorite resource or method or how do you so self -teach? I spend so much time reading documentation when it's a, when it's a new tool and not a new language. I spend a ton of time uh, reading the documentation before I even touch it, um, which when I was uh, teaching at a boot camp is also what I told my students to do. Mm -hmm. I know that like you, you, your instinct is to like dive in immediately and start like banging on shit and trying to make it work. But uh, it's my opinion that you're going to waste a fuckload of time doing that when you could just spend two hours reading the docs. But uh, when I'm learning a new language, um, I just build a CRUD app every time. I build a CRUD app. Uh, I like 
I don't really like a to-do list because they're, they're boring. I don't like to-do apps, but some kind of CRUD app with some kind of database interaction, that's my default for learning a new language. Try it. See if it works for you. What uh, boot camps do a good job of teaching you to teach yourself. And you went through a different boot camp than I did. So what did, uh, what did they teach you to do? Well, so, uh, all right. So my boot camp was at Georgia Tech and it was really neat. Um, we had uh, the option of being remote. And so I would go during the, the week and then more Saturdays than not, I would stay home because then I had my husband who's 20 years into a, a successful career as my personal TA and not just a personal TA that I didn't have to share, but a personal TA who made me bacon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, yeah, that was nice. Uh, so yeah, so I find that if I don't physically interact and do the thing, I don't learn anything. I, I can't watch Pluralsight and just watch it. Oh, no, me neither. Um, I, I love Linux Academy because you can spin up servers and play and do things and interact yeah. and actually make a thing. Um, and I actually just discovered last week the way I learn best. I didn't know this. Apparently, the way I learn best is to take someone else's repo and modify it in some way to deploy it differently or deploy it in a Docker image or just do something um, like I didn't know anything about Maven until I was like, well, I'll just do this thing. Oh, oh, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I should probably <laughs> figure this out. Oh. Um, <laughs> Turns out that's how I learned best. I learned more in two days than I think I would have on three days of tutorials. Yeah, the like video tutorial thing has never worked for me at all. Like I, I got to actually do the thing like for sure. I think Google did a really good job of that with their, um, with their Kubernetes tutorials because they are interactive. They have you like actually spin up and deploy Kubernetes. It's... I, it's really, really cool. I know it's more effort to put together tutorials like that, but it's also, it's more useful. It's more approachable. And ultimately our goals are to get people to use our tools. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have definitely, I've definitely chosen a less desirable in, in my opinion tool because it has better documentation and better community support. And absolutely every time. Okay. <laughs> I'll go with the every ugly time. I use Python for a lot of things that I probably shouldn't use Python for that another, another language is better suited for just because the, the community support for Python is so good that I, I know I can kludge it out. It might not be as fast or as efficient, but damn it, it's going to work, you know? So take note, other technology companies and open source projects and people in general please document your code. And what of you, sir? What is your preferred learning technique? Uh, I'm with uh, Kat on, on, on reading the docs uh, like a lot. I, uh, I really, I have this fear of missing out and uh, I'm afraid that if I'm just going to dive in and do something, although it works, it might be not the right way. I might miss something. So yeah. this is why I kind of go through through all the documentation and make sure that I understand as much as possible in a reasonable time. So when mm -hmm. I actually do something, I know that I'm doing it the right way. Um, and even if I force to do something without doing this uh, preparation work, afterwards I will go and still 
kind of close those gaps that I have in the knowledge just to make sure that I, I know stuff. It obviously much less effective, but otherwise I'm just going crazy thinking that I might overlook something and did something wrong. That's my personal little OCD corner that I usually don't have, but here it's kind of, I, I, I do afraid that I miss something critical if I didn't, I, I, I read car user manuals, like driver, driver manuals. I don't know anyone else who do that. I don't do that. Yeah. I, I read the car. manual for my first car and I haven't done it since. I don't read it cover to cover, but like, so I just got, I don't want to brag right now, but I just got a kick-ass minivan. What? Holy shit. Turns out with three kids, my SUV was no longer sufficient. So I got this pearlescent white Kia uh, Sedona. I call her Mini Pearl. Um, but she, uh, she's delightful. And so I got her and I'm like looking through the manual. My husband's like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, figuring out how she works. Oh, features I didn't know about. I have exactly. air-conditioned seats. Dude, no. Okay, those are weird. My dad's car has air-conditioned seats. And have you tried it yet? Yes, I live in Atlanta. Hell yes, Does it I not have. make your ass feel clammy? No. Oh my god. No. My dad has air-conditioned seats in his uh, Tahoe. I don't know. Some kind of truck. I don't know. He lives in Tennessee. Yeah. And, you know, it's also hot as hell there. It's where I grew up. But it may, just made my ass feel clammy. No, no, I That's find one of those like solving a problem that wasn't there kind of things for me. I don't know. But if you like it, maybe it's just not. It's just not for me. Uh, no, you are in Seattle, so you don't really have this weather when it's justified. That's why. Oh no, we don't. No, it doesn't get hot here. It's like yeah, a maximum of like ninety in the summer, and yeah. we don't have air conditioning. No, yeah, that's that's why because that's that's the reason. But it's actually very nice. No, but what I'm saying is, it's like this is like the extreme of going through the documentation because <laughs> probably you, you obviously don't need to read the car user manual because no one does and everybody are just fine. But I just feel that there are some features that I, were there. That I paid for them. They're there for me. And I need to learn how to use them. Maybe I never will use them, but I, I need to know that they're there and how to. And it's the same yeah. for tech. I mean, uh, I read tons of redundant and unnecessary user like documentation just to make sure that I know how this thing works. <laughs> so, so <laughs> go ahead, ladies first. Go ahead, Kat. <laughs> what I'm hearing here is that people who work in DevOps are super anal retentive. Some of them, I guess. Some of the dude, you read the car manual. Yes, but that's all three me. of us are anal retentive. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Eh. I mean, I feel like uh, I prefer detail oriented and <laughs> era, whatever, whatever. Those are the HR friendly terms. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it, it, someone should have noticed. Like I, I automated being a stay at home mom. I had color coded indexed and tab spreadsheets that were just magical for things like house cleaning and meal planning. And I had set up automated grocery delivery and like someone should have noticed at some point years ago that I belonged here. Uh, it was a dude named Tobias. I met at a um, speed networking event of all things. Thanks lesbians who tech. And um, you know, we were talking about the boot camp and, and how I just really wasn't passionate about web dev great and uh it was just really cool like 
he finally noticed. He was this, this random stranger who heard the things that came out of my mouth and was like, you're really weird and I think you'd love DevOps. And I was like, cool story. Um, but yes, I think it's true. We, we do have the personality that wants to pour all of our attention into the details and the minutiae because we, we want to really get it I, and not at a superficial level, but really get it. And for me, going from zero to here so quickly, that has been the most frustrating piece. I want to understand the why and the background and okay, it's done this way, but why? What happens if I do it differently? Is there a time you'd want to do it differently? What if I did it this way, but the situation was all wrong? And um, those are good questions to ask though, because like asking those questions, the, the why leads to maybe, maybe we're doing it this way and that way is wrong. And asking why leads to an innovation that changes it. If we don't ask like, why the hell are we doing it this way? Then maybe nothing ever changes. So I think it's, it's good. It's important to ask why the hell are we doing it this way? Mm. But so the, I think the frustration being so new in my career is that I'll get an answer and not understand a lot of the background information related to that answer. And it's, yeah. it's I, frustrating. <laughs> I don't know if that's as much a, a you problem as it is just a, a cultural problem we need to fix in this industry. We tend to like, layer abstractions on abstractions on abstractions and that's fine for productivity and for like making complexity less obvious and uh easier to deal with but when something breaks it makes it much harder for people who didn't like grow up with the industry mm -hmm. to understand what the fuck the problem is oh yeah, yeah. I tell you right now I, I could handle you know Kubernetes clusters on Google Cloud, no problem. But I yeah. guarantee you, if someone gave me a machine and said, here, set up a cluster on this server. Oh, okay. <laughs> Give me yeah, it's, like, you know? <laughs> it, we're, we're making things harder for newcomers to DevOps, whether they're junior engineers or not, unintentionally. And I think part of the solution to that is just documenting things better because a lot of documentation makes the assumption that when we explain the like why are we doing this abstraction this way that you already understand the low level answer or the the components that make up the low level answer and you don't unless you've been in devops for a decade yeah, or it looks like he wants to say yeah. yeah but on the other side those abstraction actually makes it also easier on newcomers it, because oh for sure you don't need to learn all the stack all the way to CPU instructions in order to be productive. For sure. But if something goes wrong with the abstraction, you do need to understand how the thing it's built on top of works. Maybe not all the way down to CPU instructions, but a couple of layers of abstraction peeled away or how are you going to fix it? I see. I, that I, is what you learn with experience. I mean, you can you can fire up a Kubernetes cluster on the Google Cloud Platform right away, or yeah, after yeah. a certain amount of learning, and you will be able to fire up a cluster on bare metal after more learning. So, and uh, until you do, and and it gives you this period of time in which you can already be productive without actually you know knowing all the way uh, to to the metal of how it works. So I think it's nice as long as you make it your goal to learn further and further and understand uh, more how things works. But the fact that you can do something immediately is actually 
um, very helpful and also very motivating and very um, fulfilling that you are actually active and productive without knowing all the greedy details of any, everything. So, yeah, I can see that. I, I tend to agree with you both in that the layers of abstraction make it easier to use a thing and accomplish a task for a newcomer, but far more difficult to understand the why in a timely fashion because it's taken care of for you. It's, yeah, I don't know. I compare it to, to kids learning to tie their shoes. Like if you're in a hurry and you tie their shoes for them, you're going to be tying their shoes every time. But if you just teach them to tie their shoes, then they can do it moving forward. Like, yeah, I can spin up. Google just ties my shoes for me and lets me spin up new clusters. It's not a problem, but I'm never going to learn how to tie my own shoes. <laughs> I just feel like buy a server and figure it out. <laughs> well, yeah, so I guess uh, it's nice that Google ties your shoes for you, but you need to want to learn how to do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, I, free time. You can still opt out for Google even later because it's more convenient and easier and faster than everywhere, but you need to know how it works in case it breaks down and you have to do it yourself. No, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, Google does do a good job of hand holding though. Like they've they've really excelled at that. I I unfortunately learned Kubernetes the hard way uh, at JFrog when I was on the IoT team. Uh, trying to get Kubernetes to run on um, a Raspberry Pi on like embedded Linux devices. And at the time, that was a massive pain in the ass. And so I'm sure that there's all kinds of shit I learned about Kubernetes that's just wrong outside of that very specific application. Because that, that was my only go goal, like get Kubernetes to run on a Raspberry Pi 3B. Not a 3B+, plus, not one of the nice ones, a 3B. Like... I don't want to have to do that again. Were you uh, being amazed? Uh, nope, nope. It was part of the car demo. Uh, we we built um we built a proof of concept last summer to uh, prove that it isn't necessary for it to be this much of a pain in the ass to update um, embedded Linux devices like edge devices. And we used a car as an example because cars are just giant edge devices there's like three or four computers in most cars these days um not just the one running your infotainment system there's there's a computer for your transmission there's a computer for your braking system etc and uh most cars these days don't actually update over the air they 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 can't really be updated they get flashed that's the update strategy for like a software problem with a car uh, like Jaguar had to issue uh, a widespread recall for either the I-PACE or the F-PACE. I don't remember which one. There was a problem with the software system uh, that ran the brakes. Yep. And there was no way to update it over the air. You had to bring your car into a service center and spend eight hours waiting for them to flash your brakes. And that's nuts. So we built a demo that proved that you could update either an application running on the car or the car's firmware uh, over the air without interrupting the driver at all. Uh, and it, it relied on Kubernetes to work. Uh, and it was a massive pain, but it worked. And we could update uh, an application running on the car in about 35 seconds uh, while somebody was driving the car. Uh, like it could happen silently. It shouldn't in actual practice with a real car. But with our demo car, it did. And we could update the firmware in five to 10 minutes uh, that happened in the background and the actual, because we had two partitions on the boot drive, the, um, the update was happening in the inactive partition. 
while the user was driving, about five to 10 minutes. And then you go to the grocery store, the update happens while you're driving there. You park, you go inside. And then the next time you, when you come back out, turn your car on, the partitions flip and you are now driving on the update. And nice. that, that was how I learned Kubernetes. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. huge. And, uh, Valerie, if you or any of our listeners want to learn more about that, uh, the show notes will include uh, the keynote from uh, last year's Swamp App uh, that Keith uh, Merker did, and he actually presented this system there. And uh, yeah, so there, there is... Uh, it was it was very very impressive, and uh, the folks also had the car physically in the expo, so you could actually code an update and then see it actually happened. Like really really cool stuff. Oh um, yeah, we we broke the golden rule of uh, conference presentations real hard. Like they say that you shouldn't do any live coding or whatever in a conference presentation because it's so easy for something to go wrong. You fat finger something, or like your your dev environment is is haunted and things just don't work anymore. We were letting randos off of the conference floor come up and write and deploy code to this car. Like just anybody, you didn't even have to be an engineer. We had a bunch of like the marketing guys generally loved the writing code part. They really wanted to try that and they would let their engineering team drive the car. It was, uh, it was outrageous. Oh, that's but try to, try to get Kubernetes to run on a Raspberry Pi, it's fun. It's hard, but it's easier now. Uh, you can use K3S by Rancher, and it's it's much easier to use K3S now. Excuse me. And thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm, in fact, a note taker. It's uh, it's ridiculous. I, I hate remote work with a fiery passion, mostly because of the whole video thing. One. I genuinely don't believe that anyone I'm seeing on the camera is wearing pants. Two, <laughs> two, every time I go to like make notes, it looks like I'm ignoring people. And I'm, I don't mean to like, I want to lock it in, but I'm, uh, I hate this remote work thing. How, how do people do this all the time? Mm. I'm an uh, extroverted introvert personally. So I, uh, I like attention and I like being on stage and stuff, but I also need a lot of time to recharge. Mm -hmm. uh, like, and that recharge time I have to spend like mostly alone. So working from home works pretty well for me. Uh, I am not wearing real pants though. I will admit I'm wearing um, Walmart joggers mm -hmm. covered in um, paint from, I think when I painted this apartment when I moved into it five years ago. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. oh, you yeah. know, I think no, most I people are not wearing real clothes top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. I, the only thing I love myself is keeping the short not tucked. Everything else is in that. Everything else is legit. So. Really? Yeah. I do exist. Yep. And uh, yeah, so in, introverts, extroverts, um, uh, you mentioned it and um, uh, people say that it's kind of, it's, it's a range and everything. I don't believe this through. My personal experience is that everybody are introverts with a certain level of extrovert they can suffer. And this mm -hmm. level is different from for other people. I, for That's example, fair. I, for example, can survive a very long periods of extrovert, but in the end of the day, I need to turn it off 
and disconnect and go back to myself and see now where and, 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 you know, not speak with anyone. And uh, I think that everybody just have this threshold of for how long they can have it turned on differently. But in the end of the day, we need to turn it off as well. Okay, so I had a conference that you might've heard of, push the boundaries of my extroversion. So normally when I go speak, first of all, I'm away from my children and my snoring husband. So like, even if I were to bomb a talk, I would still get to sleep alone in a quiet hotel room. So it's still a good trip. Um, <laughs> but so normally I go and I spend all day at the conference and I'm this vow. Hey, it's so great to meet you and look at my eye contact and I'm so energetic. And like, I have to be that vow all day. And then I go on. on stage. Yes. I thrive being on stage. I like the jokes. I like making eye contact and interacting and getting people to laugh. And I feed on, I'm like, almost like an energetic vampire. I love it. But then <laughs> at some point around the third drink at the end of the night, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. And there's this beautiful moment where I walk into my hotel room and it's silent and I've set it to like 67 degrees because I prefer it to be cold. And like I sit alone in silence with a book, glass of wine, do whatever the fuck I want. Like it's, it's beautiful. I had a conference push this. I went to DevFest Siberia in Novosibirsk in November. And mm -hmm. I figured out that from the time I got there, I got there in the middle of the night and the organizers met me at the airport and we had like a 45 minute ride. There was a 24 seven hotel in the lobby of the hotel. And I spent almost every minute of those eight days. If I wasn't actively at the conference site, I was in that hotel bar eating food, talking and laughing. I think I averaged three hours of sleep here and there. I mean, I don't, I don't think I slept hardly at all. I was never alone in my room. There were so many interesting people and I knew that like, I wasn't going to be in Siberia again anytime soon. And I just FOMO, I didn't want to miss out on a single opportunity to get to know these incredible people. And I mean, I, I'm, I met some of the neatest people. I didn't want to be away. I got home from that trip, was so happy to see my children, hugged them, loved on them. And then the next day I was just like, <sighs> there you go, there you go. I was, yeah. I was social for eight days straight. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a conference I, that does that to me at uh, Lenaro Connect. Uh, it's a, a conference put on, uh, by a kind of like open source consortium called Lenaro. Mm -hmm. They're also kind of the de facto babysitters for ARM. And mm -hmm. uh, there's, a t there's a ton of people at this conference from like ARM and Huawei and VMware. And they're all like very senior hardware engineers. And they are all way smarter than me by a long shot. And I don't mean that in a self-deprecating way. They just are, and that's okay. And they're also very excited that I don't know a whole bunch about this stuff. So it's, it's a five day long conference. It is long, really long. And I'm exhausted by the end of it, but I spend the whole time like just being a sponge and it does, it doesn't end after like conference hours, like conference hours end and we go to the hotel bar and I am learning about like microcode. And I'm five, I'm five glasses of wine deep, 
but of course. Like, I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm sponging. Normally at conferences, this is going to ruin a secret for, I guess, people that think I party a lot. Uh, normally at a conference, I have two or three drinks at the like conference after party. Mm-hmm. And then I switch to um, soda water with bitters and a lime. So people think I'm still drinking and think mm-hmm. I'm still like here to party, but actually I'm trying to like keep my shit together. Mm-hmm. I don't, do, I don't have to do that at Lenaro Connect. Doesn't, doesn't feel like I need to watch my ass ever. So yeah. I had, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead, sir. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to mention that um, we all are going, when the conferences are back, we're all going to um, speak at another one of those. I hope the DevOps in uh, probably the next one we will do will be some better work in October. And this is one of those. This is one of yeah. those that we don't, don't want to turn it off. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I plan for having like three days without sleep. So I sleep in the, on the plane on the way there. I know I'm going to sleep on the plane on the way back. But during the conference itself, it's like, no, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. There is so much going on. There are so many great people around that uh, turning it off during the conference feels like wasting time. I fell in love with um, with the country being there. I've only ever had that happen in one other country where I just like, from the minute I landed, liked the people, the culture, felt home, if that makes sense. The, I, I went to Paris uh, when I was 18. I lived there for a little while. And from, from the minute the plane set down, it just felt like a homecoming. I had the same thing happen in Moscow. I, I left the airport, went to actually visit another office for my company in another country. I, I, when I travel, I don't really care about landmarks. I want to see how the people in country actually live and work and eat and socialize and like what is day-to-day life here like so i went to my company's office in moscow and then i walked um a good ways and just took in the buildings and like you know i'm from the states right so you've got banks older than my nation so (laughs) it was (laughs) that was um you know a a beautiful architecture but i loved Mm -hmm. that every public space i went there were accommodations for children you know i in this culture, if your child is fussing during a meal, people are likely to glare at you, you know, to which I just throw up a rude hand gesture and live my life. Um, but the people, uh, both in Moscow and in Vospirs, they, they just, oh, your child's fussy. Would you like some help? How can I help you? Your child's adorable with the tantrum. Let me help you. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. That's like a completely different Russia that I grew up in. But that's really? okay. I mean, everybody has their own experiences i'm glad that your yours is is good i mean i like i like some people there but no i'm i'm not a fan but that's okay i mean that's but i didn't live there i I went for eight days i mean my first husband lasted a couple of years like i was only there for eight days no i mean (laughs) it's it's fine it's okay i i glad i'd like to feel comfortable there because that's the most important thing it's just you know well we'll see We'll see how some better book treats you. I'm looking forward to it. I've never been to Russia. I did live in Hungary for a little while, which, you know, was occupied by the Soviet Union, but I've never been to Russia. A lot of Russian yeah. friends. It, it will be, it will be, if anything, just a great conference to, 
a to be at and to speak at. That's for sure. Oh no, I'm I'm so excited. I, yeah. This was another one where I was like, "What do you want me to talk about? I'll learn anything. What do you want me to talk about? I just want to be there. Can I just be there?" That sounds great. I'm, I'm talking about the car demo there, and they've asked me to bring one of the cars. So we'll see what it's like trying to get through that at the uh, Russian customs. I don't know. Uh, if, uh, if we will take care of it uh, in advance and, you know, make sure to ship it and to give customs and everything, to be yeah. fine. Just, we just need to allow it enough time. That's, that's have you, I assume that since this conference was supposed to be soon, you already have a conference talk topic, right, Valerie? Mm-hmm. What you talking about? The shiny new agile. Oops, we're waterfall again. When your <laughs> quest for better processes slows down your team and fucks up your CI/CD because now you're doing more process than development. How wow. to do that and assess what you actually should be doing. I hard agree with you and uh, vaguely related, uh, actually possibly related because I don't know what the fuck the rest of your talk is, but. Uh, I think that we need to be a little bit more careful when deciding what tools to use because often I have noticed that we are using tools because they are trendy and cool and not because they are actually useful. Mm -hmm. uh, like Kubernetes is cool. Kubernetes is useful, but you probably don't need to be using Kubernetes for your like crappy home side project. I don't need to be using it in my crappy home side project. That's over engineering, which is sometimes fun, but usually oh, yeah. creating more work for yourself with a subpar by using a subpar tool. Uh, is that where your talk is going? Um, not, not so much and the tooling so much as the, um, so I was inspired by a certain agile framework that shall go unnamed until I'm on stage. Um, <laughs> but basically if you have a, you know, a hugely distributed team, so many hundreds of people, thousands of people, whatever. Mm -hmm. the, the processes that make sense for your development cycles are not going to be the same as a 30 person team where there's 40 people in the office and 30 of them are developers of some ilk. And you know, the, the same length of sprint doesn't make the sense, doesn't make sense for all teams. Oh, you're absolutely right. Like program intervals don't make sense for all teams. There is no one size fits all. So I, I don't know, I just kind of wanted to take a step back and say, all right, well, how do you know if your team, first of all, what is the goal, right? I think the goal should be, you should be able to hit deploy to prod at 4.45 on a Friday and go enjoy your weekend. I think Absolutely. that should be the goal. Right? I, I agree. I'm really tired of the, hey, it's Friday, don't deploy tweets. Because like the, the whole point of DevOps is that we, we should be able to deploy frequently whenever we want. As soon as we have a new thing available, we should be able to safely and reliably yeah. deploy. It's so incredibly well tested and everything is, is as it should be cool. Um, so if that's the goal. No, no, but, but we can't really, pro we can't today with the complexity and the amount of data, we cannot really test everything. And this is why we have uh, we have the controlled rollout. We reduce the blast radius. We have the own call culture, and uh, the the, the tweets don't deploy on Friday are actually not a symptom of uh, other bad processes. They are a symptom of particularly bad uh, on call culture, because you will get she, she will hit the fan, and and uh, the thing is you should be able to mitigate it 
Friday night with the same ease you mitigated Monday mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. This is the only thing. And if you have a good on-call uh, process and uh, you know how to do it well, then it really doesn't matter if you deploy after afternoon. Yeah, it's not Friday shouldn't be special. It's not that nothing will break. It's it's about I'm ready for it to break on Friday night with the same ease as I'm ready for it to break on Monday morning. Doesn't matter. Yes. So the the whole talk is all right. Let's let's define a goal and then how do you assess if you are at that goal, and if you are not, how can you assess if you're moving farther towards it or away from it? And I mean, uh, I, so I have a tendency, any talk I do that I think should come from someone with more experience than myself, I create a Google form and I send it out all over the place. I tweet it, I send it by direct mail to a bunch of people and ask them to share it on social media. And so uh, one of the first talks I did was on fostering junior talent. And I sent out two different Google forms, one for anyone who'd worked as a junior and did or did not receive mentorship a whole lot of questions about that experience, your first two years of work. And then one for people 20 years and up into their career, their feelings and attitudes about mentoring junior talent. And formed that talk around the experience of people who obviously had far more experience than myself. I am a firm believer you should defer to subject matter experts to an extent. Um, and so for this one, I've actually started getting responses getting people to talk about how their team is doing different kinds of agile, if they're doing agile and how is their development process documented? Is it documented? Is it standardized? Has anyone really weighed in on this? How big is that team? Um, trying to build it up and get enough information to speak appropriately to how to get to the goal. That yes, that a, a break on Friday afternoon is no worse of faith than a break on Monday morning because it's going to be handled quickly and efficiently and everyone knows their part in that. Exactly. Yep. I think that's a, that's a good cultural shift to be pushing that uh, it's, it's okay if things break a little bit, you know, learn, learn from it, fail fast, <laughs> fail often, personally. I mean, maybe that's a little bit more YOLO than some people are comfortable with, but uh, I, I would rather be pretty damn sure that this is not going to break anything because of the rest of the, the tests and gates in the rest of my CICD process and go ahead and deploy than uh, spend maybe weeks waffling trying to make sure it's perfect. It's never going to be perfect. There's like between one and 25 bugs per thousand lines of code, but bugs are getting into production. Like it doesn't matter. You, yeah. you are not perfect. Nobody's engineering team is perfect. There's and, bugs. And what matters it, is how severe they are. The level of complexity and the amount of that, it's impossible to guarantee. No matter, no matter how much QA, manual, automatic, whatever you, you do, you, you, you put to it, Unless you put it in production in front of people and you're people never going to find out, it, you're never going to find out. And yeah, stay you... with that because, uh, because it's not worth anymore investing that much money in uh, trying to reproduce production because um, it's just impossible to do with a um, reasonable amount of effort and money. And, and that means that the whole idea is just 
waste of time and money because it won't be live production anyway. So why would you even 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 bother? You can't you can't simulate an an idiot user. Yep. You know, yep. there's no way to simulate an idiot user. When I was going through school, I uh, I would get like my dumbest friend, and I say that lovingly, just like my least tech savvy friend to try out my app and they're going to find the problems immediately because they're right. going to try clicking on some shit that I would never even, would never even consider clicking on that or trying or trying to type that. I would never even try that because I built the stupid thing. It's not just your dumb friend. You need your mischievous friend. So we actually did, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the sort of smaller entity for a larger company for whom I work. We were a very small team when I joined. And one of the first experiences I had working there was um, a stress test on our product. And so they assigned a couple of us to like play the part of customer and blah, blah, blah. And so I watched one of my more mischievous, devilish coworkers. Uh, I now refer to him as my work husband. Um, oh God, you're one of those? Uh, yeah, he might as well be, man. Like I spend half <laughs> my life there. I see him more than my real husband. So Fair enough. Uh, my, my real husband writes software. I never see him. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, but I sat and watched him try to figure out, okay, how do I use this product to basically screw over drone pilots by drawing the area I want filmed in such a way that I'm spending the least amount of money possible, but they have to still get me all this imagery. And I sat and watched him. I was like, man, that's awesome that we figured that out. Now we can put in some safeguards. Not that any, not that any pilot would have agreed to these crazy starburst, you know, cost-saving things, but still. Uh, so I would say not just your dumb friends or, or non-tech savvy friends, you know, the me's that I used to be. Uh, I would say your mischievous, uh, the friends that like getting away with something. Those are good testers as well. I, yeah, well, for yeah sure. no, for sure. This is, uh, this is also true. But I mean, it, even, even without that, it's just a matter of, you know, with, with, and I'm not trying to say that QA shouldn't happen, exploratory testing should happen, we should, uh, you know, fire fire the, all the people that um, help us test better. But I'm just saying, like, in the end of the day, the only real proof of production that you have, of, of quality that you have is production. This is one of the drivers behind DevOps. This is one of the drivers why developers now should care about deployment, about production, about on-call, because if the developers care about uh, quality, and they obviously do care about quality, this is the, the production is the final frontier of, of quality, if you wish. Jeez, <laughs> the final dork. frontier. Yes. We need, you know uh, what? That was a dork some, hole. Yeah, right? definitely. <laughs> oh, my green screen. Well, soon, oh. soon, soon, soon you will get a green screen. Soon. I think that's how okay. we're going to start shaking hands now, right? Because we're, we yeah, yeah, yeah. we're just going to like, that up hey what's up i'm i'm definitely down for the live long and prosper instead of a handshake i don't i don't like handshakes anyway because you know uh hey baruch how often do you get somebody giving you one of those weird handshakes where they just grab your fingertips or like the totally limp hand thing or is that just the thing that women get yeah we get that a lot it's a it's a thing that women get because a lot of men don't know what to do with your hand. It's fucking <laughs> rude. Just shake my hand. No, but shaking hands, it's a very masculine like show of power. You press the hand of other people. And really? a lot of men don't want to use that for a gentle gender. 
right? So we kind of, they get this hand and they're like, no, should I kiss it? What should I do with it? It's kind no, of, so this is not without do. consent. No, yeah, never kiss my hand. And I don't particularly like being referred to as gentle. I, I shake hands, no questions asked, but I just explain where it comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I think uh, everybody yeah, should just, we should either shake hands like normal humans, you know, a little bit of a grip. Don't try to break my finger bones, but a grip. Or we should all just stop doing that entirely. I agree. And, and I think we should stop doing that entirely. There is, uh, I mean, I, I, I get that there is some uh, uh, human need of contact that you get when you touch down. This is why all the marketing books are about how it is important to tap your, uh, your uh, customer on the shoulder and, uh, and all that, and how uh, the waiters that actually put their hand on the shoulder of the patrons get more tips and everything. I get all that, but I still think it's like, they should stop. Don't, don't touch other people. Let's yeah, just don't touch people. Just stop, yeah. Let's just stop touching each other yeah. on a regular basis. It's weird. Come on, it come is. on, come on, don't touch me, babe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all about hugs and everything, but it should be like... When a consensual it? thing between people who know each other. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Stop touching strangers. God, there's this joke at work. It's called Gold Star. Every time they can see a really inappropriate, horrifically offensive or inappropriate comment has gone through my brain but not come out of my mouth, they just say, Gold Star, Regis. And at this point, I'll be like on Slack with my teammates, just they'll write something. I won't even comment emoji it. And they know, they know what they said. The, the last three minutes have been gold star intense for me. You're welcome. You're welcome, yeah. J-Frog. You're welcome for all of the thoughts that did not come out of my mouth just now. Yeah, well, you just, you can DM them to me on Twitter though. Oh yeah, yeah. Because well, we're a little more stir crazy and a few glasses in and then I'll tell you. I don't okay. want to do anything. Okay. That's a good point. It's not a... Oh, go ahead. Baruch said this is an R-rated podcast. It is. So, it is an R-rated podcast, yes. You know, it's definitely a bonus if you've got a good inappropriate tech joke within, within limits, but... Oh, yeah. Well, so but, yeah the, limits, the limits are pretty, pretty vague. Yeah. I struggle with that because, like, so at conferences, you know, everyone's got the code of conduct and... In theory, if you meet a bunch of people and go out to lunch away from the conference, you should still abide by the conference, COC. You absolutely should, yeah. And so I've only ever gotten offended at a conference once because, and maybe it's because I was raised in the locker room. I was uh, a judo player for forever. I was on the U.S. judo team for a time. And I was typically one of the only women at the dojo. So I was just raised by a bunch of dudes. So maybe that's it. But it, it takes a lot to offend me. And so we're out to lunch and the whole table is making raucous, like inappropriate-ish, like, but a lot of like sexual innuendo and a lot of uh, making fun of each other, in, but like punching, punching up, making fun of each other. Sure. And then I got offended by the one guy who basically said, see, we can all laugh. Women have to come up with these codes of conduct to ruin all the fun, but we're having fun. And I'm like, see, and now you just did. And you just did ruin it. We were having a lot of fun until and that. To do that. Why do you have to do that? Yeah. Man. So I, I, I struggle with with where is the line of appropriateness? 
You got to just, you got to read the room, I think. And if you're, if you're in doubt about whether or not something is appropriate, you just don't say it. You just, just don't. Or, you know, text it to a friend who is not there. If you feel like you really just got to get that joke out of your system. But uh, it's a, it's a read the room thing, you know, because I've definitely been around some, some jokes told and some statements made at conferences that like, from an outside point of view, absolutely violated the code of conduct. But it, it was funny to everybody who was there at the time. Yeah. You know, nobody was upset. Nobody was offended. So did it really? I mean, technically, yes. But I, I think it's a read the room situation. Oh, or yeah. if you know, just keep your fucking mouth shut. You well, know? in general, the, the types of people who are asking me, like, where is that line are the ones who are walking right over it. Yeah. Most people I know that we make really inappropriate jokes, they don't have to ask where the line is because they can see on my face that I'm not uncomfortable. Yeah. With, with their eyeballs. Well, no, but empathy is hard. And I mean, I don't think it's a surprise that people who ask you are the people who don't know because whoever knows doesn't have to ask. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing that they realize that <laughs> something wrong and they actually should ask and if it's hard for them to read the room um, and they're not very good with empathy the fact that they are asking is actually a good thing and if you can help them by you know telling them what Kat just said mm. See, there's two kinds of asks yeah yeah there's two, you're there's... talking about you're talking about hey, I really want to understand why that joke was inappropriate so I can do better. That's a good ask. The, yeah. where the hell's the line even? Bitch is getting all offended all the time. That's a yeah, different it's, ask. It's not really a question. It's not a question. It's just yeah. a passive aggressive way of saying it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you offended me with, with the fact that you try to pretend that you are offended. Yeah. Yes. No, so, that's, yeah. Not, that's not that. Yeah. Just Man, be decent. I miss conferences. I miss uh, missing your faces. I miss all the people and the energy and the new information and having to Google 12 things after a session. I Google them during the session. I'm shameless. Oh, I, I can't pay attention if I do. Ugh. I can open the browser tab and then put my phone back away. And like, so then I have like 12 tabs waiting on me, but mm. I, I can't read and listen. That's and a good strategy. That's a good strategy. I'll have to try that. Cause I always worry that I look rude. I probably do look rude. You know, I've had people apologize to me in advance before one of my talks be like, I'm, I'm working and listening to you. I'm multitasking. I apologize if it appears rude that I'm not looking at you from the crowd and it's like, it doesn't bother me. So I guess it never occurs to me that it might bother others when I'm sitting in the crowd, like on my phone, I am paying attention. I just don't know what that thing you used is. And you didn't explain it, so I've got to Google it. So I have some context because I came in here with not enough knowledge. This is why show notes help. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. So we, uh, for our talks at JFrog, after every talk, we put up a, a page at jfrog.com slash show notes that has like usually a link to our slide deck. And if we have it, a recording of the whole talk. But then we also provide links to like any of the resources we mentioned or used in our talk afterwards. Like if I use some weird open source project, I'll provide a link to their GitHub or their documentation so that 
people who aren't familiar with like my entire tech stack and my entire dev environment can get a little bit more context on their own time. And mm-hmm. I feel like it maybe encourages them more to use the, actually try the tools I'm using. Yeah. So it's a, it's a cool thing. I didn't do that before uh, I moved into the DevRel team. And now I think I will have to always do that because it is, it is really valuable. It's something that I wish, I wish more speakers did. So, yeah, so try, try to a little bit like educate our own DevRel market here as well by doing that. And I see more and more people start doing that. And that's great. There are different ways to do that. There are people who, who are fancy with their a Twitter automation and schedule tweets. So they got a bunch of those show notes as, as tweets that they are just automatically post during the talk or right after. That there are different ways. We we just have a page that people that I remind the URL number of times during my talk and just saying you don't need to take the pictures of the slides or uh, or you know Google something in the process or open tabs. You will have everything prepared for you after the talk, and then we can actually see mm-hmm. who who is who is browsing because they are not interested and because the rest will actually listen. I love that. It's like psychological warfare. I love it. A little uh, bit. Yeah. Like it does, it does help us trap a little bit more like lead info about the people who are attending our talks, but. So, okay. You mentioned, you mentioned that this, this sort of activity is sort of filling in the gap since you can't do a, a huge portion of the DevRel role, which is the traveling and speaking yep. and, 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 and. What other things are y'all doing to sort of bridge the gap to your, your base? Like what, what else you got? This is a lot. So virtual conferences are a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke at uh, DevOps uh, last week, Friday. Time Friday. is meaningless. Time, yeah. I have completely, utterly lost track of time. I don't know what day it is. No one suggested what uh, that will remind you every day on Twitter what day is it. I think we're very close to actually make it useful. Yeah. yeah. I can let me send you some um some virtual conferences and meetups that are coming up. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can and then you can you can still participate. So typically it's been you record the talk in advance. Um and then it it is really weird like watching yourself with other people who are watching you. It's so that that's kind of awkward, but you record the talk in advance um, and then you just hang out in stream during the talk and then for like 15 minutes after to handle Q and A. Baruch and I are also speaking at uh, the D2IQ's uh, Cloud Native Summit. Is that what they're calling it? Yeah, it's Cloud yeah, Native featuring Kubernetes. It's on the dates that uh, KubeCon was supposed to be so they right. try to capitalize that, that they are on the same day, that it's the replacement for KubeCon. Uh, I'm not sure, yeah. but yeah. So if you need some stuff to fill your time, I'm happy to send you some links to some virtual yeah. events to try out. And also, you know, learn a new thing. I'm going to take this opportunity to write a bunch of code, build some like weird side projects, dumb hacky stuff, and uh cram some DevOps in there for, uh, this is content-driven development. That's where we're at, fam. Content-driven yeah. development. And yeah, so talking about content, in the end of the day, all that is for content, right? So mm-hmm. um, uh, it's webinars, 
its blogs, its screencasts, podcasts. Uh, it's, it's a lot of that. What languages do you know? Let's collaborate. Let's build something. <laughs> um, so the... Yaml. She knows YAML. I was about to say YAML. Um, I really like shell scripting. Um, I, I mean, I can do JavaScript because I did a boot camp and I, I don't enjoy it, but it's there. It lives there. All right. I'll build the, I'll build the thing and <laughs> you, can, you can do all of the YAML and the shell scripting. If you don't want to write JavaScript, I'll do it in Python or Go, whatever. I wrote a DAG once, and by that I mean I copied and pasted and altered a DAG once. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's, that's a pretty considerable portion of actual development. So the, yeah. the, the key is knowing what to copy and paste. Yes. And yeah. how far you can edit something before it doesn't work anymore. I, uh, when I was a TA for the boot camp after I graduated, I had a couple of people turn in homework and they were like, what doesn't work? I don't know why. And I was like, this is a interesting, interesting function you've written here. What does it do? I don't, I don't know. You copied and pasted this. Didn't you copy and paste this? Yeah. Well, yeah, but it, it worked for them. Okay. But if you can't tell me what it's doing, every character, if you can't tell me what it's doing, you don't need to copy and paste that. Like, yeah, let's that was, that back. was my thing too. Like as what I was, TAing and teaching at uh, Code Fellows, it was always like, I personally don't give a shit if you're copy and pasting stuff off of Stack Overflow. I copy and paste shit off of Stack Overflow at work. It's whatever. But I understand it. So we're going to go get a conference room. <laughs> and on a whiteboard, you are going to tell me what this is doing that you've copy and pasted from Stack Overflow. Because I don't believe that you know what this is doing. And if you can explain it to me, I don't give a shit that you copy and pasted it. Oh, yeah. But if you, if you have no idea, then I'm not giving you credit for this assignment. And you're going to do it again. Yeah. Which is maybe mean, but like you're paying money to a boot camp yeah. to be taught how to understand these things. You can't, you're cheating yourself. Boot camps are not cheap. I don't know how much UW or uh, Georgia Tech charges for theirs. But oh, yeah. Uh, I spent 9500 which was by far the least I've ever heard of anyone paying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Code Fellows costs, I think, uh, like 20 grand uh, mm -hmm. if you don't get any scholarships. And then, you know, I, I did. I had a diversity scholarship. Um, and that brought my total to like 12, I think. Yeah. But still... Bill, it's a, it's a lot of money, even if you have a scholarship to literally cheat yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, we had, we had one cohort where like six different people and it was, it was the function name. It was the function name that gave it away. We had six people turn tip off. homework and they all had a function called yay. And I was like, wait a minute. So I'm looking at all their different work. All the TAs are looking and yeah, these six people, you know, they have different they all have the same HTML and the same JavaScript, different CSS. That's it. Hmm. And I sat there and debated. I was like, well, they're not learning because they're copying and pasting. I mean, they, an entire page of JavaScript just, just copied it and threw it in. Ah, uh, that's too so, much. I'd call that plagiarism personally. Oh, no, I did. I did. Yeah. But like we sat and debated what to do about it. Like they're paying to be here. We can't have them graduate if they don't know what they're doing but what do we do about this? Because it moves so quickly, you can't slow someone down or they won't catch up. Right, yeah. So 
That was a uh, that was ugly. That was ugly. It's some students are not good at cheating. Uh, I a bunch of my stuff from when I was in a boot camp is still on my GitHub. Uh, the more embarrassing stuff I have set to private, but uh, a bunch of it is still some of it's still public. And every once in a while, a current student of that boot camp will uh, fork one of my like actual lab repositories mm-hmm. and it's like you know i get a notification when you do that right <laughs> or they'll star it and it's like like i can lit- i can see that you are literally turning in my work as yours and also so can your instructor because it says in github that you forked it from cat cosgrove slash lab 04 whatever like you are this is not how you cheat fam no no i uh i can't handle it i had a woman plagiarize on a paper my senior year in college and she left hyperlinks in and i'm like you're not even trying you're not even trying with a copy paste I mean, there, there are some people that are there for different reasons, and I guess those are just people that just don't care. I mean, okay. they're there because someone else told them to, and this kind of stuff, and they're like, ah, whatever, I'll do whatever they want me to do in the most tricky way, so just give that. They're just phoning it in. But we're not phoning it in. We're here to learn. Yes, we are. Oh my yeah, God. So, yeah, I, I, so make sure my children actually did a modicum of schoolwork today now that it's, well, in Atlanta, it's 620. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, uh, thank you for staying late. And um, I think we're, we're more than, we have discussed more than we uh, obviously expected. And this is great. Uh, we need to do it again. Uh, maybe after you collaborate on something fun and want to talk uh, about that as well, right? And uh, we will hook you up with uh, virtual events. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming. That was so much fun that actually I didn't realize how the event flies. We ran over real bad, yeah. Yeah. No, no but it was completely worth it. It was great. Thank you very much for coming, Valerie. Thank you for almost an hour and a half away from my children who are delightful souls. And I actually enjoy hanging out with them. They're just really needy. They just want me to feed them and take care of them and I like love them and stuff well no the loving them is easy because they're beautiful it's just you know it's the it's the the rest of the maternal that I lack I'm a really Ah. I love them so much I really suck at like bathing them feeding them what like you're hungry oh that's why I have cats yeah no I hear you but the good news are that at some point of time they become self-sufficient in that they help each other and then they don't even need the help of each other to just do it this is this is what you should dream about this day will come that yeah we we are in this and we couldn't be more happy it's like they're there we love them so much zero maintenance god dare to dream dare to dream thank you so much for the delightful conversation i hope i see your faces if not in real life on screen again soon Oh yeah, you, you will. will. You will. We. You will be back on this podcast with vengeance, with more stuff <laughs> to talk about. Thank you very much for for coming, Kat. Thank you for the great interview, and uh, see you in the next episodes of the DevOps Pikisi podcast. Thank you and bye.